Pastor Tim and I would like to recommend a book to you that neither of us have read. Um, I, <laughs> I promised they were coming, right? Well, they're here. It's called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential, co-written by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. Um, I was trying to think of some sort of like game to give these away, but I, I, I don't care enough to come up with a game. So, is anyone interested in one of these books? I've only got five with me currently, so... I do have more, and I think Pastor Tim also got a box, so. <clears throat> and John, this one's for you. Um, I don't think so, unless you want one. I can get you one. Okay. So that's uh, a good book. I, I, so we've not read it, but I've listened to a number of interviews on it and am very familiar with both of the authors, so I feel good giving it out <laughs> without reading it, which wouldn't be the case with every book. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and we can jump into our time together. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity we have to gather here this morning. We're thankful that we have your word in a language that we can understand. And so we ask, God, that you would help us to take full advantage of that. That you would help us to be people of the book. And so be with us in our time uh, together this morning as we open up your word together. We pray for insight. We pray for um, just ability to understand. And we ask, God, that you would then help us to live accordingly. We're thankful for your Spirit who enables all of those things and pray that uh, you would do that here among us this morning uh, for your glory, uh, for the good of this church, and um, for the sake of, of souls in Lock Haven and beyond being saved. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago... Um, we were looking at Galatians chapter 6, and we were uh, trying to figure out what was going on between Galatians 6.2 and Galatians 6.5, and I had um, not only a bad answer last two weeks ago, but a really confusing answer, and so I promised that I would take some time to um, rectify that. And so I just briefly wanted to help us understand, so maybe it would even be helpful to reread Galatians 6.2 and Galatians 6.5 <clears throat> so that we have a little bit of the context. So Galatians 6.2 was our one another command last week. It said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then we come to verse 5 where it says, for each will have to bear his own load. And so we looked at that, uh, and the question was asked, um, are those contradictory? And 
Um, I tried to explain the Greek words behind that, and it just was terrible. Um, my <clears throat> and and so in the process of looking at this, I, I remembered advice that my Greek professor gave to us. He said, your knowledge of Greek should be like underwear. It does its job without anyone seeing what it's doing. Okay? And so that is to say, you know it, but you don't show it. And I tried to show it last, last time, and it just didn't work. Um, so it's maybe even similar uh, to the difference between math and English class, right? So in math, you have to show your work. That's one of the reasons why I always disliked math, because, I mean, if I can get the answer without telling you how I did it, does it matter? Well, to math teachers, it does. I hear an amen and an amen. Um, but then in English class, uh, all you do is you hand in the polished, finished product. And so Greek, in my professor's opinion, is not meant to be like math, but English. Uh, so that said, my clarification from two weeks ago uh, is going to try to keep that in mind uh, before we jump into uh, our two one another commands for this week. And we will do two, okay? And so I need to, to, to hurry up. So the word that's translated burdens in verse 2 has a, has a specific definition. So when it says bear one another's burdens... Uh, and this is uh, quoted from Timothy George in his commentary on Galatians. So he says, the word translated burdens in verse 2 refers to a heavy load and oppressive weight, which one is expected to carry for a long distance. But the word for load in verse 5, which is used elsewhere, refers to a ship's cargo, such as Acts 27.10, a soldier's knapsack, or a pilgrim's backpack. And so the words are different in that they're referring to different amounts of weight. The first, in verse 2, refers to weight that one person by themselves would be unable to carry. And so then it must be shared, which I think was the main thrust of my teaching last time, which was specifically drawing out the need for the body to spread the load around. The second word in verse 5, which probably most of your English translations say load, refers um, much, so it says the second though, refers much to like what we say above, a weight that is meant to be carried by one person. And so it's something that, that you're able to carry by yourself but then further, most commentators um, explain this second category, the load that we are to carry ourselves, as the final judgment. And so when Paul in verse 5 says that um, we are to um, carry, to, to bear his own load, he's saying that I cannot bear your responsibility on the day of judgment and you cannot bear my responsibility on the day of judgment. That is a load for every man to carry himself, which is why he says, each must bear his own load. So it is different than what's going on in verse 2, 
where it is a weight that is unable to be carried by one person, and so the body of Christ exists to spread that weight around, but then verse 5 is very specific that it's something we are to carry ourselves because we're the ones who are responsible for ourselves before God. John Stott said it this way, says, so we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. So, I hope that clarifies what I made really unclear two weeks ago. Uh, but any questions before we move on to, uh, to one another commands? Dave? What, what did you say about a shipping load or freight or something? The second word is used to refer to um, a ship's cargo. And, and so I think, I think by that it's referring to something that can be carried by one thing. So whereas... Uh, the first word is, is a weight that is too heavy to be carried by one person. Um, it has to be spread out, but one ship can carry one load. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to, to clarify that. Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. We will be looking at verses 9 and 10. Now I say we are looking at two one another commands today because we are. And actually in the James passage that we'll look at, there are two separate one another commands. Uh, so we may even look at three. Uh, who knows? But I, I'm saying that because <clears throat> um, the Colossians command, I think, is applied by what we will read in James. So if we want to practice what Colossians says, we'll do what James says. And so I think they fit nicely together. And so we will look at them together uh, here in just a minute. So Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 says this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the one another command, the first one that we're looking at is do not lie to one another. Paul gives the command and then he tells us why. That's been the, the case pretty much so, so far throughout all of the commands that we've looked at. Um, I, I'm not certain on this, but I think it's one of the first commands that's stated as a negative to not do something. So even just look at bear one another's burdens. That's something that we are to do. But this is something that we are not to do, and we are not to lie to one another. So in this portion of Colossians, Paul has shifted from the indicative to the imperative. And that is, he has shifted from the truth of the gospel to what we must do because of the truth of the gospel. We see this shift take place in chapter 2, verse 6, which says, Therefore, and remember, whenever you come across the word therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for. Therefore, you have received, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
So when Paul says, therefore, everything that has come prior to that word, everything's maybe a bit of a, too big of a word, but most of what Paul says prior to chapter 2, verse 6, is explaining the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done. And then he says, therefore, as you have received this Christ Jesus, read Colossians 1, 15 to, to 25, somewhere around, I don't know if it goes through 25, but that's, that's a hymn from the early church that explains who Jesus is. And so because of who Jesus is, Paul then goes on to say, because of who he is, this is what we are to do. The letter moves on to show how the church should live based on who Christ has made them to be. In one of the instructions, we see the one another command. Do not lie to one another. So I'll just start with a question. Why do you think Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, feels it necessary to reiterate the fifth commandment, shall not bear false witness? Or, Or maybe to ask it another way, why do you think this command of not lying to one another is so important to give as instruction for the church? Luke. Kills unity. Lying kills unity. Yeah? How do you think it does that? Creates separation. I think that's that's what it is. I said it just a little bit differently. I said that no community can exist without truth. So, so Paul is, is telling us what the church is to be, how we are supposed to interact with one another based on who Jesus Christ is. And one of the things that we are to not do is lie to one another. And so there's, there's, there's these instructions given to the community, the church, the people of God. And Paul is instructing how the community of the church should operate. Communities require trust, and trust requires truth. So he says, don't lie to one another. Lying to one another is one thing, but if you are a Christian, by lying to one another, you're also lying about who Christ has made you to be. So instead of, of living according to the new self, that's what Paul goes on to explain uh, through verse 9 and the end of verse 10. It says, do not lie to one another. I lost my verse. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So if we are lying, we're falling back into the old self. And we're not living truthfully in accordance with who Jesus has made us. And so we're going back and not living according to faith. 
And, and, and look, we've, we've been lying since the beginning of time, right? Uh, the, the devotional that I'm using words it nicely. So I want to read just briefly from this. on not lying to one another. It's, it kind of sets the scene. So the, the first question is, it says this, Where are you? These were God's words, first words to Adam and Eve after they ate the forbidden fruit. Did God need to be told this? Well, of course not. But he knew that they needed to be honest. They needed to acknowledge that they were in a place they weren't meant to be. They needed to act out of faith that God was in charge by speaking the truth. Does it seem like I'm reading too much into the Genesis 3 account? If so, take a look at the passage today's verse comes from, Colossians 3, 1-4. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's laying out these truths. Our salvation is, is a reason to chase after and look toward the eternal, Christ himself and his kingdom. Our old self that loves today's treasures has died. We have new life in Jesus now, and we're destined for his glory. Paul continues in, verses, in verse 5 and also 9 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. When we hide ourselves like our first parents, when we refrain from speaking the truth about our lives, we're living like our old dead selves not as resurrected new creations. Like Adam and Eve, we're picking the fruit that's right in front of us instead of trusting God to provide for us and know what's best for us. Telling the truth about a situation or aspect of your life can be really costly, it's true. It may cost you a job or a relationship or social status, but those things are not our primary source of identity anymore. Paul in Colossians says, You have been raised with Christ, for you have died. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all in and all. Your social standing or vocational position are no longer something to hold on to for dear life. Christ is. And Christ is worth everything. Christ is worth speaking the truth. Each time we choose to be honest with those around us, we're demonstrating that we trust in someone beyond what we can see. We're living out of faith that our good Christ and sovereign God will work out what's best for us as we, as we live with integrity, even if everything else we're holding on to from this earthly life is stripped away. So stop hiding. Stop lying. Believe that He cares for you when you obediently speak the truth. Today, He gently invites you to Himself with this question. Where are you? Tell him, and then tell someone else. And so there's more at stake in, in lying to one another than just simply the offense, the sin of lying. We are not properly representing 
God. Any thoughts? Yeah. I just keep on thinking about when I first started to follow Christ in eighth grade. So I was 14 years old and I started reading the Bible and I was reading through Proverbs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm building this relationship, getting to know Jesus. And one of the things in chapter six in Proverbs that has a list of things that God hates. Mm. One of them was lying. Lying tongue. And, and I thought, well, if I'm getting to know God better and I want to be walking closely with him and doing things that please him, I don't want to do something that he hates. Right. And then I was thinking, too, just as, you know, in reading through this and thinking about lying does nothing but hurt the person you're lying to and separates relationships. Mm -hmm. Kind of like it causes disunity. Right. Yeah. Good thoughts. Yeah. Norm? Mm -hmm. And when we catch ourselves lying, we're, we're trying to make ourselves look good. Yeah. And even stretching the truth, that includes stretching the truth. Mm -hmm. so, you know, it ruins our testimony, our witness to those that we may be trying to share with, yeah. and they catch us lying, and that just ruins the life. Yeah. Yeah. So Norm said that the lying is not a characteristic of a Christian, of new creation, and, and that it... it um, Part of the danger of lying, which I want to talk a little bit more about here in a minute, is that it, it, it gives a false impression of who we are. And that's, that's dangerous, yeah. And just one more thought is yeah. that I've been, as I've been processing about lying is, you know, Satan is the father of lies. Right. So who is our father? Do we have, is, is Satan our father or is, is God our father? Yeah. And so who are we identifying with? Yeah, it's true. Satan's called the father of lies. Yeah. Jim? Yeah, uh, Paul's saying that like not one to another. They must have been a bunch of liars. For everything you brought up, said your professional thing about, yeah. they probably weren't. Just like nowadays, someone, I see someone, they'll ask me how you're doing. I'll say, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm really lying. Yeah. How much time do you have? Well, thanks for your honesty, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and Paul does bring this up in, in at least one other letter. It's in Ephesians. It's not worded the same way, so it's not a one another command. But, but the, the importance of telling the truth in the community. And, and so, yeah, Matt. I think Jim's on something there a little bit too in the context of what this is talking about because it says, you know, previous to that, we're, we're to put off all these kind of sinful things. And then it kind of, period, and then don't lie to one another. And so I wonder if it's more than just the, I don't know, lies that we, if it's more the lie of, like Jim was, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing in this area? Mm -hmm. I'm doing fine. Right. Uh, but you're not. That's, right. You know, that's, a, that's, because in the context of all this, it really seems to be about, yeah. You know, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing um, in those areas that you struggle in, in mm -hmm. sin? And, you know, we're supposed to be putting those off and we, and we're, you know, we're bearing one another's burdens in those things. Yeah. Um, then if you say, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> right. You, you know, you, you're not. Right. You know, and, it, and it, I think that, that along with breaking trust, you know, now your sin is hurting the body. Mm -hmm. 
in and of itself. Right. Yeah, and that, that's, I think that's really important. Um, there is an aspect of, of this command based on the context where it, it comes that if someone's, a brother or sister is asking you about how you're doing, and I'm basically just summarizing what Matt said. So if, if someone asks about a particular struggle that you have, and you say, oh yeah, 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 good. Yeah, it's going great, you know? And, and it's not... Well, there are quite a few ramifications that would come from that. And, and part of that is the, 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 what's at stake in that is the purity of the bride of Christ. Right? So we are to pursue holiness together. And, and if we're not willing to, to be open and honest about the things that we're struggling with, that pursuit of holiness is, is not going to go as well as it could. And, and so that, that's actually why I wanted to look at James chapter 5 alongside of this one another command of not lying to one another. Because I think one of the ways that we can practice this is by confessing our sins to one another. So we tell the truth by confessing sins. We're not done with Colossians. We'll be back but I think that this is just a good application. So you can go ahead and flip to James chapter 5 if you want. We'll kind of just be there briefly, so keep a thumb in Colossians. But in James 5.16, it says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I'll just be honest at the outset here. Um, there's a lot of disagreement about what the latter half of this verse means. Specifically, that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm not prepared to answer that question. I'll just say that now. But, if we look at, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another as an application of not lying to one another, it should be all right. The kind of honesty the community of God needs is the kind of honesty that recognizes who we are by nature. I hope it's no shock to you that we're sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and, and sinners have to confess sin. And so not only should we be sinners, but we should be confessors. And sinners in community have sinned to confess to one another. I, I don't know. I'm, maybe I've offended some of you at one point or another. I probably have. I, and I'm sure it has been reciprocated. That, that's what happens in, in a community of sinners. There's offense that takes place. And, and we need to own that. We need to confess that sin to one another. So if, if when we come together, we do not recognize that by confessing to one another, we're not only lying to one another, but we're, not, we're also not accurately representing the work of Christ on our behalf. 
So what I mean by that is that if, if, we're, if we're hiding behind this veneer and saying, you know, that sin struggle that you're asking me about, oh, it's, it's going great. Flying colors. And we're lying about that. that that's one thing. Okay, that, that's a sin in and of itself. But I think, I think even at a deeper level, we're denying the work of Christ on our behalf. That if we can't own the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior by confessing to one another and saying, look, you asked, so I'm going to tell you. It's not going great. But praise God, there is a great Savior who has paid the price for that sin. I think we honor the work of Christ, I'd say more, but I think we honor the work of Christ by confessing. Because we're recognizing who we are and we're recognizing the work that He has done to rectify who we are. If He has made us to be new creations and and tells us to put off the old and put on the new, He's going to empower us to do that. And and one of the ways that we can take, take a faithful role in that process is by confessing to one another. Jesus died for sinners. And if we come together and act like we've got it all together, what we're really confessing is that we don't need the sacrifice of Christ. So confession, both in the, in the, in the doing, so confessing to you and you to me in the hearing, reminds us of our deep need for the sacrifice of Christ to be applied to our accounts. And praise God that we have the promise in His Word that if we confess our sins one to another, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we want to be a community that trusts one another, maybe it's a good idea to start with a freedom to confess to one another. Jim, you have some thoughts. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't put not coming to Sunday school in the category of sin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that could be your personal conviction. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And Okay, sure. Um, but I think, I think in that regard, we have other... And, and I, I, yeah, I agree that, that we need to be together. But I think there are also other ways for that confession to take place. We, we have a limited amount of time on a Sunday morning, right? We're here for, I mean, if you're, you're here at, I don't know, 8.30, because you're early and you want a fellowship and you stay late, you're here for four hours. Out of how many hours are in a week? 168. 168. Stuart knows that. He's doing a, uh, he, he has to keep track of, of his time for a month for one of his classes. So he knows. 168. I have to keep track of 168 hours times four, actually. But 
Um, we're here for four out of those 168 hours. I was never good with fractions, but that's not a lot of time, right? So there has to be another arena in which we are confessing our sins to one another. Maybe we get together outside of a Sunday morning. Maybe we say, hey, you know what? I don't have lunch plans today after church. What are you doing? By the way, I don't have lunch plans today after <clears throat> Anyway, um, maybe we say, hey, my home group meets Sunday night, 5 o'clock, my house. Bring a dish to share. We start with a meal. We pray. We eat. We fellowship. We study the Word. How about you come on out to that? Or think of youth ministry. Think of, of children's Sunday school. We can, we can think of many different ways that we can come together, but the thing about serving together, like if, if you're serving with someone else in children's ministry, there's going to be a lot of chaos, I realize, but there's also going to be time where you can, you can look at one another and just catch up. And, and if you're serving, if, if, I don't want to overuse the phrase in the trenches, but if you're in the trenches together, you form a bond that you don't get elsewhere. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a quickness and a readiness to, to share with someone, to confess to someone with whom you're serving. So there's, those are some other arenas that I think we can share in. But yes, Jim, we should encourage people to come to Sunday school. Amen. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, and so I, that comes to the issue of identity, and I think that that's hugely important, that we are our most true selves when we are living like Christ, right? Because, because he is the, the quintessential human, right? Sinless, perfect. And, and if, if, we are, if we are striving to look like Christ, if we are striving to live in light of the declaration that He has made over us, justified. We're striving to live in light of that. We are living in, in the truest version of ourselves. And, and, and the goal of humanity is to see the risen Christ in all of His glory, unveiled. 
And, and when we get there, we'll be glorified. We will be without sin. And so when we are striving and pursuing holiness, here and now, we're living in light of what is true about us now, we're justified, but what will be true of us for eternity, that we are like Christ. So, I, I don't know if that's exactly what you were saying, but... I don't necessarily have to say to someone, I really struggle with patience. Because I'm being authentic. I'm not faking, putting on something that's not myself. Yeah, yeah. My sister's going to say, boy, Jess, when you're tired, like, you get my <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Kenny would never say that. Your sister. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so it's, I don't even have to say, like, confess to you where we're going. Okay. Because yeah. you see it, and we have a relationship. Okay, okay. You can say to me, or one time, I, long time ago, a sister said to me when I gossiped, I don't know if that person was ready to share that information publicly. And it was a very gentle, mm-hmm. yeah. because I was being authentically sinful. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I didn't have to say, like, I have a problem in this area yeah. of my life right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 18 years ago, okay. I still remember it. Yeah. So that's sort of what I'm talking about. Okay, so I didn't quite understand what you were saying. But that, that, I think, is a good point as well. That when we're living in community with one another and the walls come down, which, let's be honest, some, sometimes the walls are up. But when the walls come down, and Guatemala is a great example of just by necessity the walls come down, whether it's for ministry purposes or because the only hour of sleep you got was on a bumpy bus ride to the learning center. And, and Anyway, and so the walls come down, but I think what's important in community is the intentional process of maybe, maybe not putting those walls up, uh, allowing the walls to, to dissolve so that we can see one another and look at one another and, and know without someone having to say, yeah, I'm really struggling with this right now. It, I mean, as Jess is saying, sometimes that's going to be obvious to us more than it's obvious to you. And if, if we're the kind of community that is, is able to make that a regular practice, sure, it might be difficult, but as we pursue holiness and and purity together, we will help one another. And I think that's kind of important. Yeah, Jared. I think uh, part of this falls on the answer. Part of this, like you have to be open to the real answer. Mm. And I only know this from experience because I have Asperger's. So when I first came to Christ, like I wasn't very relational. Like I didn't, it was hard for me to show people that I care about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I've heard that. We just use it to say, to, to get out of conversation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like, I had to learn, and I, I turned part of young adult leadership, and I had to learn to push past that. And, like, and I saw firsthand that when I would say, are you really fine? That really led to some great conversation. 
Yeah, and, and all of this is going to take, I think I've said in this class before, gobs and gobs of time, right? Gobs and gobs of time. A lot. Is there a different colloquial phrase that would be better to use there? <laughs> it's going to take a lot of effort on our part. But I think that's what God has designed the church to do. Uh, and and I've, I've shared this before. As, as I've been preparing for these one another commands, I've found it just difficult. And, and at times, if I'm honest, I'm not lying here, <laughs> draining. And, and, and I think part of that is because this is my first real prep in like two years, so I haven't had that, that mindset. But, but also, as I've been looking at what is required of us by these one another commands, it's a lot. And, and just every week, coming before the Word of God and, and hearing it say to me, you know what? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then, and then like thinking about that and realizing, okay, this means that even in, within the conversation that we're having right now, if I'm, if I'm going to ask someone how they're doing, maybe I need to be ready to hear how they're doing. And, and, and so, yeah, it's not, I don't want to like put weights and burdens on us too heavy to bear, as we looked at for bearing one another's burdens. Um, but what is required of us in these commands is a high bar, is a necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and just the, the, the willingness to, to be able to, to say, look, we're following Christ together, and whatever that means, let's do it. And, and it, it's going to take time. It's going to take difficulty. It's going to take hardship. It's going to take difficult conversations where maybe you're uncomfortable. And, and just even some of the things that we've already looked at, there are going to be preferences. I think this is the first week of this class. There are preferences that, that I have that you might disagree with. And so that just complicates it even more. <laughs> but we are to love one another. That's one that we'll look at. I see that hand. Thank you, brother. And, and we, will, we, will have to, we will have to be resolved and committed to one another in this process. Uh, Dr. Valerio, he was first.
I urge you, brothers, that they renew your mind. You need to renew our mind. So uh, I believe that the root cause can be also there. That we start to believe the lie of the devil. Mm-hmm. We, we, we start to feel like ourselves to that. And then we create a habit to we are in the realm of life. Right. And, and uh, so the point is not only identify life to one another and be confident, yeah. but uh, ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just as Dr. Valeri is saying, we 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 need a constant diet of the truth, so that we don't seek nourishment from lies. Because only only the truth can satisfy. Uh, so we need to be regularly in the Word of God. Luke, what's up? I'll try. <laughs> Oh my. <clears throat> Luke asked, is it a sin issue or a, just a just a heart issue, which I think we would have to delineate there. If if he and I'm going to correct your colloquial phrase here, if he could not care less how Jared is doing. <laughs> Would you like to answer for us? No, I, I would love to defer. Um, I think you need to check your heart. And, and is it necessarily, is it, is it a sin issue that you don't care? I don't know. It may be, it may be a symptom of sin, though. Well, that, well, so let's say it is a sin just for the sake of the argument. Okay, we're saying it's a sin for the sake of argument. Yes. Yes. Some, someone, uh, in, uh, for the sake of your example, I would call you out yeah. and say, Luke, brother, you need to repent. Right, okay. So okay, you. Stuart, if give I, us some wisdom. If I can lean on children's ministry. Hey, yo. Yeah, and, and even just with that, what that verse says, love your neighbor as yourself. I love myself a whole lot, right? And I'm willing to, to do a lot to please myself in, in whatever form or fashion that may be. And so I think the challenge there is maybe turn that outward a little bit. Follow up, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> and seeking to justify himself. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Yes, calling one another out is a good thing. Yes. Um, how that practically looks in terms of 
um, I, I guess I've heard it in like circle of influence terms, like I, I'm not going to be able to have that, that depth of relationship with every single person. But there should be multiple persons that we do have that depth of relationship with, that we're able to say, look, hey Luke, you sinned, man. Your heart is not right. You need to get it right. Um, and, and so, so we, we need to have that level of relationship with people. I'm not going to throw out a number because I don't want to be like legalistic about how many we should have that with, but we should have it. Angeline, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Follow the truth, not feelings. The, yeah. the truth must inform our feelings. All that to say, Matt. I'm not going to contradict what you said. I just okay. <laughs> Wise. Did everybody hear that? I, I just want to give a hearty amen. I don't want to have to repeat that because it was, it was well worded. Pastor Tim. I just want to clarify, I care about Jared. Okay. <laughs> Jared. Different Jared. In verse 16, too, it says that, you know, so the flute does need to be admonished. Yeah. He said, it goes on to say, admonishing him spiritual song, so we should sing it to you. Uh, do you have another question? Just to your point You're reaching your quota, by the way, yeah. but go on. Last year we didn't have one, so I get up, I get yeah, it's a new year. Yeah. yeah. But when you say, though, that there are only a select amount of people, would you not then the logical, set, or the logical end to that? Conclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. But you don't know who my people are. But I know I'm not one of them. 
no, <laughs> you don't know who my people are. And, and I think there are seasons and times where there's, there's, a, there's a, like a, a gathering in of, of more, maybe just for a brief season, for that conversation in the hallway as we pass one another. Hey, how are you? Well, you know, I'm not that great. Well, let's talk about that. And then, you know, out of my circle again. But anyway, yeah, so, so all that to say, all that to say, yeah, yeah. And I think you're describing the spiritual gift of empathy. Jim. Amen. So, in this process, confessing to one another. Oh, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and I think in those times, there's a reliance on God to make us what we aren't naturally and trust that he will allow us to interact with one another in a way that is in accordance with what he requires of the church. Um, So all of this is hard. It can at times be awkward. But in this specifically confessing sins to one another, remember this. God has already forgiven it. God has already forgiven the sins that we confess to one another. So what do we have to fear? If a brother or sister hears me confess sin and wrongly responds by blacklisting me, whatever, judging me, looking down on me, well, that's, that's their fault. And they need to work that out with God and seek forgiveness and all of that. But, but we, can, we can confess sin boldly because we've been forgiven. And, and no matter what any person says or however they react, does not change the standing that we have before God. So just remember that as we seek to practice confession of sin. And then once we've confessed... We can follow the second part of James 5.16 that says to pray for one another. If a brother or sister comes to you and confesses some sin, a good response is, hey, let's pray. I mean, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be um, hours of prayer together. Just, just a simple prayer. Even, even a prayer of praise reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel that we're forgiven. I think, I think we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. I mean, obviously we need to share it with others, those who are not saved, but we need to preach it to ourselves because we are tempted to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Right? And so we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and, and, and say, this is who we are in Christ. 
We're forgiven and praise God for that. And we pray even in light of that. So if we then go back to Colossians, and I said what we're going to do too, and I, I'm sticking to it, right? We Actually, we got to three, so you're welcome. If we go back to Colossians, we see that um, we are all in the process of sin becoming a decreasing reality in our lives. Verses 9 and 10, it says, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. I think one of the ways that sin becomes a decreasing reality in our lives, one of the ways that sin will have its grip on us loosened, is by confessing and bringing it into the light for others to pray for as they seek to walk with us through it. The grip of sin will be loosened on us when we don't feel like we have to hide it from others. And this is the process of sanctification, which some have described, even as I've already said briefly, as becoming what you are. God has declared us righteous, and yet we still battle sin. It's Reformation Day, so I can, I can use some Latin. Luther had the phrase, simul justus et peccator, at the same time just and sinner. That's the reality we live in. We battle sin. But God has also declared us righteous. And sanctification is the gradual restoration of the image of God in us that takes place as we put off the old and put on the new. I think confession aids in that process. And so it should be a practice in our lives so that we can become what we are, which is a new creation in Christ. We did it. Any thoughts before I close this in prayer? Luke. Okay. Luke wants to make sure everybody knows he appreciates Jerry. Alright, well let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the fact that you promise in your word that you are faithful and just. And if we confess our sins, that you will indeed forgive them. Thank you for the work of Christ that has made that possible. Help us as we seek this week and in the rest of our lives to live in light of the declaration that has been made over us that we are justified. Empower us by your Spirit to these ends. Do it for your glory and for the good of this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.